Zechariah the prophet says, in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. There are many people who think that this has yet to happen. I beg to differ and Tonight I will set my stall out why I believe it has already happened. And how Christ has fulfilled this to the fullness. When he died at Calvary, the fountain opened in the house of David is the fountain of blood that we have been singing about. The fountain opened in the house of David for the inhabitants of Jerusalem at that time is the blood which flowed from Emmanuel's veins. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he freely shed when he died willingly, giving up his own life on Calvary's cross. William Cooper in 1772 wrote the famous hymn which we all sing and love so well. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. William Cooper was a, a man who had mental illness and he found he couldn't find peace in his uh, church affiliation. And not finding peace in church affiliation in the mental institute one time, a man came along and that man came to strengthen him. That man came to encourage him. And that man is the famous writer of the old hymn that we always, well, we used to always sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine, was blind, and now I see. John Newton sang that, went to William Cooper and told him of the grace of God and not of the ritual of religion. He told him of the power of the blood of Christ to set the captive free. And he ministered to the man while he was in this institution for mental illness. William Cooper, or Cooper, he ended up writing many hymns with him. And they dueled together to bring blessing to Britain and to the wider world. And so he writes, while realizing that there is a fountain filled with blood, realizing that in Christ and his cross, realizing that it's here at the cross, that he's not only forgiven of his sin and washed from all of his sin, but that Christ breaks every chain that binds the man and the woman. And in that wonderful hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood. He then goes on to say these words. I do believe. That's why he sung it. That's why he wrote it. I do believe. I will believe that Jesus died for me. That on the cross he shed his blood from sin to set me free. William Cooper knew that Zechariah 13 and verse 1. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. He knew it had already happened. 
He knew it had already passed, that it was an already, it was a done work. That Christ shed his blood. And that William Cooper, that Ken Davidson and many others here, coming by faith in the blood, are washed and forgiven of all of their sin. The fountain prophesied by Zechariah would be hundreds of years later. It was a future event in Zechariah's day. The fountain became a literal event when Christ died on the cross. So it was future, it became literal, and now it's historical. It's a fact that Christ died on the cross of Calvary. So it was future, it's now, it was literal, and now it is historical that the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood was shed for us at Calvary. We look back at Calvary and see the blessing. Zechariah looked forward and seen the blessing. And the people who were there in Jerusalem of the day refused him and rejected him. Think about this. The people who actually set their eyes upon him cried, away with him. We will not have this man to reign over us. Crucify him. Crucify him. The fountain, although prophesied and became literal and historical, has an everlasting effect. And hence the blood that was shed from Emmanuel's veins, the fountain of blood of Christ, still avails for you and I this very moment and will always avail for the sinner who comes to Christ. Augustus Toplady. Now, if you don't know who he is, he was a famous writer. He wrote many a famous hymn, ones that we love and sing well. In fact, for years I used to go every year. Once a year I was asked to come over and I was flown over to London. His church was just behind Leicester Square in a little street called Orange Street. And it was a, it's a, a congregational church. It was a small church. And one time they asked me, would you come over and preach on a Sunday for us? This is a lot of years ago. And so I used to go over every once a year to preach to the congregation. And there was the, the old pulpit where Augustus Top Lady used to grab hold of as he thundered out the gospel. There were the railings along the side from the pulpit. And I felt I was touching history, touching this old brown, marred and marked pulpit over the years, holding on to it, thinking this man preached from this very pulpit. And as much as it really thrilled me to think that, I can tell you, there's something else that you lay hold on that's even greater. Something else I would have laid hold on, and that was the wood of the cross of Christ. In other words, Christ died for me at Calvary. To lay hold of the altar of the cross and plead for forgiveness and for mercy. That the blood of the Lamb, the fountain that flowed at Jerusalem that day, pleading for the souls of men and women that sat in the congregation every year when I went over. Sadly, it has dwindled away. I haven't been there in, I think, about 12 years now. But it dwindled away, stuck in the middle of London. And how our nation, how our people have turned away from the Lord.
But Augustus top lady, he wrote, Foul, I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Notice what he says, Foul, I to thy fountain fly. There's, the songs are getting less and less about the blood. The songs today are being written and it's less and less about the blood and more and more about the blessing for the person. Man-centered rather than Christ-glorifying. Rather than Christ being exalted in his blood that he shed at Calvary being applied in song. We find that it's all about the man-centered life. So the prophet says, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Now, I don't know if we have time to go through this, but here are the points that we'll look at, God willing, this evening. Some are shorter and longer than others. First of all, in that day, You can write a definite day. In that day is a definite day. Secondly, there shall be a fountain opened. You can write a new way. A new way. Thirdly, to the house of David, a precious fountain. You can write, fourthly, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, you can write a certain people a certain people, and fifthly, for sin and uncleanness, you can write a particular purpose. A particular purpose. First of all, in that day. In what day? In the day of Christ's crucifixion. In the day of Christ's passion. In the day of Passover in Jerusalem. In the day of the fulfilling of Daniel chapter 9. On verse 24. If you have your Bible and you'd like to flick over to Daniel, please. Daniel chapter 9. And the verse 24. It is the day of the end of a prophesied 70 weeks. Verse 24 says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, which is Jerusalem we know. Notice, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, people think that is still future from our day to day. But I want to lay it out to you that today I'm going to show you that Christ has fulfilled this. The prophet is not speaking of an antichrist but rather the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Christ should be seen in this scripture and Christ alone. First of all, in that day. So we look at Daniel 9 and verse 24. Point one, if you will look at it, he was to finish the transgression. To finish the transgression. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 53, Andrew read it this morning around the Lord's table. Notice what it says 
in verse 5. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Notice the prophet is speaking of Christ finishing our transgression by the shedding of his blood, the fountain that would be open in the house of David and of the, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Look at, at also on down this chapter, please, if you will. Let your eye run down to the very, verse 11 to verse 12. And he that, that is Christ shall see the travail of his soul And shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Notice, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Notice, he was numbered with the transgressors. Notice, he was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Christ on this, the Lord Jesus Christ made this happen. So when we look at this in that day, so in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, if you'll just go to it, Daniel 9 and verse 24, please again. First of all is to finish the transgression. Second of all it is, and to make an end of sins. To make an end of sins. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says in the New Testament. But now once in the end of the world he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. By the way, there the term, but now once in the end of the world means the end of the age coming from the old covenant into the New Testament. Doesn't mean the end of the world we most likely are running into at this time. It means the end of the temple in AD 70. At this point, AD 33, Christ died for our sins. The fountain was opened at Jerusalem. Let's read it. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. I want you to note that and underline it. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin on the salvation. That is the second coming of Christ. The first one is not the end of the world as we would think it. It is the end of the old age of the old covenant. So he was to make an end of sins. And thirdly, he's to make reconciliation for iniquity, to make reconciliation for iniquity. The word reconciliation means to cover. The word here means, the Hebrew word means to cover. Kofer is the word, kofer. 
So he would come and he would cover our transgressions. As I think a few weeks ago I said, Noah was told to build an ark. He's told to put the pitch on the ark on the outside and on the inside. Cover it with pitch that the water wouldn't get in. Seal it tight. It's the word kofar. See the same word here that Jesus would come to cover our sins with his own blood. That Jesus would come and die for us in our place. That Christ would open his veins, as it were, on Calvary's tree. And hence there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. How precious is that blood, brothers and sisters, when we think of it. Notice, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now, there's a couple of words here that we need to look at. First of all, the word to make an end of sins. And before that, we have to finish transgression. And the word transgression is the word pesha, and it means rebellion. Rebellion. That we were rebels before God. The inhabitants of Jerusalem would be rebels before God. And that you and I are rebellious before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would come to finish our rebellion. When does our rebellion finish? Whenever we surrender ourselves to him. Am I talking to a man or a woman here tonight? And you're rebelling against God and you know God has been speaking to you. You know God has been dealing with you and drawing you. And you've went into rebellion against God. You've went against his drawing. You've been conscious and you've been aware of maybe God speaking with you and dealing with you and calling you. And you're so near, but yet so far. I'm very near, Ken, I'm very near. Preacher, I'm very near. Well, let me tell you how near you can get. Judas kissed the door of heaven and went to hell. Judas kissed the face of Christ. He says, I am the door. He kissed the door of heaven. And Judas went to hell. So how near are you? Jesus says, if the light be in you, be darkness. How great is that darkness? And the word here for transgression means rebellion. Speaking to someone who's rebelled against the call of God. Rebelled against the drawing of God. You've rebelled against the word of God. And you keep rebelling against God and running from him. Jesus came that the fountain would be open to finish rebellion. Secondly, to make an end of sins. The word sins is the word kathahar. And this is what it means. It gives the idea of a sin offering for the condition and guilt of your sin. Jesus came to be a sin offering. See, they were offering sins in the temple. They were offering sin offerings in the temple. Sacrificed animals. The Lord says, that's not good enough. My son will come. And the blood from his own veins will pay your debt. It will be your sin offering. Someone here, you're trying to appease God with your own sin offering? You're trying to appease God and please God with your own sin offering? Look how 
well I've done, Lord. Look how good I've been, Lord. I'm even going to CET on a regular basis. He sent his son as a sin offering for you. He sent his son as a sin offering for you. And you're trying to give the Lord another offering. Notice here, to make reconciliation for iniquity. The word iniquity is a word of own. Do you know what it means? Perversity. Depravity. Perversity and depravity. Now take heart in this word. I know it sounds strong, of own. Because it means the vilest of sinners who truly believe. That moment from Jesus, a pardon received. So the vilest of sinner can cry out for mercy. The vilest of the vile can cry out in repentance and ask for forgiveness. The perverse of our land, the depraved man and woman can cry out unto God and ask and plead for his mercy and forgiveness. And it means that he has made a covering. Did you hear that, sinner? Christ has made a covering. A kofar. Christ has made a covering with his own precious shed blood. And you and I are washed in the blood and Christ has set us free. Brothers and sisters, these words are important because some think they've gone too far. Some think they've went too wayward. And others believe they've gone too deep. And you don't know, preacher, what I've done in my life. And you don't know what my past is. And pastor, you don't know what's happened to me and what I've done in return. Listen, I don't need to know. He knows. But are you under the blood? Are you forgiven? Are you Christ? As long as you're not a danger to yourself or someone else in this place, I don't need to know. Because he has covered it all. Do you know him? Are you saved? Notice here, to make reconciliation for iniquity, 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. See the word imputing? You know what it gives the idea of? Someone sitting counting and adding up. Counting and adding up. God hasn't added up your sin if you're under the blood. See all the stuff, all the sins you knew and don't know about? All the things you did and no one else knew about? They're all piling up on you. Sometimes it's a heavy burden and a heavy weight. And, and you were under the wrath of God. You're already condemned in your sin, the scripture tells us. When a man and a woman 
come to saving faith in Christ and putting their trust in him, he doesn't count your sin anymore. He wipes it all away, washes you clean, and he covers you. He covers you. What happens to me whenever I get saved and I fail? It's called grace, brothers and sisters. It's called grace. What happens when I sin gravely and I've got saved? It's called grace. And we plead the merit and the efficacy, the cleansing, atoning power of the blood which flowed from Emmanuel's veins. It's called grace. Thank God for his grace, Christian. See? Amen. Thank God for his grace. And fourthly, to bring in everlasting righteousness in Daniel 9, 24, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Will you turn with me to Romans chapter 3, please? Romans chapter 3. Just let your eye run down to verse 20, if you will. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. No flesh shall be justified. Everyone is guilty. Everyone is guilty. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Do you know what one old writer said about that? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That the law tells us you can't attain salvation, you're a sinner. The law shows us our impossibility of being saved on our own merit and strength. And this is what an old preacher once wrote. It is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are. It is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are. The law is perfectly plumb line straight forever. And when we put ourselves against it, it shows us nothing but crooks. (laughs) We're all a bunch of crooks. So how, oh how we need Christ. Verse 21, but now is the righteousness of God without the laws manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Notice that. I find here, that people seem to think that they sin differently than other people that makes them better than somebody else. Because you sin differently to somebody else's sin doesn't make you better. It makes you a sinner like them. It makes you a sinner like them. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he says, being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, look what it says in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What does it mean? It means what the law said and what the prophets prophesied. 
It's paying witness what the law said and what the prophets prophesied. Jeremiah chapter 23, please. I know I have you back and forward a bit tonight, but it's important that we read these. It's important that we see these. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, please. Here the prophet is prophesying again of Christ. Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and the king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. What is it that Daniel said? That he who would die would come to bring in everlasting righteousness. This isn't an antichrist dying that he might bring in everlasting righteousness for us. This is Christ. This is Christ. So, fifthly, Daniel 9 verse 24 Daniel 9, verse 24. And it says, To make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy. Isn't this what we read there, that the the prophets and the law pointed to Christ and all that he would do? The word here to seal up is the word katham, and it means to affix a seal to something. Remember they put Daniel in the lion's den, and the king sealed it. Remember they put Christ in the tomb and rolled the stone over and it was sealed? It's the same word here. It's the exact same idea here. It means to seal up and to bring to an end. To seal up the vision and the prophecy. Christ came to do that. For example, Isaiah 29 and verse 11 says, And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. In other words, he's saying, The word of God is sealed to the eyes that are blind. Do you know why a man reads the Bible and it just looks like mumbo-jumbo? Do you know why a man and a woman reads the Bible and looks like stories and fairy tales? Do you know why they read it and they get nothing from it? Because their eyes are blinded. It's been sealed. Until the Spirit opens your heart. Until the Spirit of God opens the mind and the heart of a man and a woman, a man can never be saved, for they cannot see the Christ who saves them. In Matthew 5, the Lord Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He sealed or he fulfilled. Matthew 11 and 13, he says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Talking about John the Baptist. So they're all prophesying. There'll be a fountain opened. Behold, the Lord is coming. He's going to be called the Lord of our righteousness. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has fled on him. The iniquity of us all. The prophets prophesied of Christ. The law was kept by Christ. And Christ 
fulfilled and sealed the lot. Right up to John the Baptist, then on the scene, the prophets are going, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, the Messiah, he's coming. But Jesus didn't say he's coming. Jesus says, I am come. I am come that they might have life. They might have it more abundantly. I am come a light into the world. That's what Christ done. John 5 and verse 39, if you want to turn. Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leaders of his day. Listen to what he says to them. Search the scriptures. Go ahead, you look through it. Look through your prophets. Look through Moses, the Psalms. You look through the scrolls. Take them down and look for them. Search the scriptures. He says, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Notice, says you search for them, they're trying to keep 613 commandments of their own traditions so that they might be saved. And Christ comes and says, you search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Brothers and sisters, the fountain open was the blood of Christ. One, ver- one more verse on this, t- on this point. Acts 3 and verse 18 says, But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, notice, he hath so fulfilled. The prophet spoke he would suffer. Andrew read it this morning. His vision was marred more than any man. Christ fulfilled it. David in Psalm 22 wrote it. The dogs have enclosed me. The assembly of the wicked are round about me. Says they pierced my hands and my feet. Christ fulfilled it. Christ fulfilled it. Sixthly in Daniel 9. By the way, we're only on the first point. Told you maybe not get it done tonight. In that day. Daniel 9 verse 24. To bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy. To anoint the most holy. This is not the temple in Jerusalem. How dare we say that a, a temple of brick and mortar even if it's ornate and looks lovely, how dare we say it's the most holy? How can we say it's the most holy? There's only one that's most holy, and that's Christ himself. He was anointed by the Spirit of God when he was baptized of John in the River Jordan. The Spirit of God came down upon him in the bodily form of a dove. And then he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted there of the devil 40 days 
and 40 nights. Now listen, he comes out of the wilderness and where does he go? Straight to a synagogue. Luke chapter 4. It says he takes the scroll and he looks up Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet. And there he finds where it is written. And they have no chapter and verse in the scroll. But in our Bible, it's Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach. That's Christ. I'm anointed, he says, of the Father. I'm anointed of his Spirit. Sure, he's God. Absolutely, he is. But as a man, he was anointed. To anoint the most holy. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Daniel 9 and 24 is about the Lord Jesus Christ, not an antichrist. Secondly, Zechariah, if you will, we're finished with that verse. I'm watching the clock. I'll not go too far over here. Still early anyway. It's going to say it's five minutes fast. It's not as five minutes slow. Zechariah, please. 13, verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain opened. There shall be a fountain opened. In Psalm 36 and verse 8, listen to what it says about the Lord. And notice the wording here. For with thee is the fountain of life. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light we shall see light. Now notice how these words stick together right into the new covenant, right into the coming of Christ. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light we shall see light. The apostle John writing his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. And then he says in verse 4 of John chapter 1, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. In him, in Christ, the word was life. And life was the light of men. The life of Christ is what lights men up in regeneration. It's the life of Christ in a man. It's the life of Christ in a woman that lights you up to be able to behold the glories of Christ. And the psalmist says, For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light we shall see light. In other words, when he comes into your life, and when he comes into your heart, you understand the scriptures, and you search for more of the glories of Christ. And you see him throughout all the scriptures. Notice here, In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So he is the fountain of life. He brings light 
in the darkness. Men and women sitting in sin and darkness, and he is the life and the light of a man and a woman. Zechariah 13 and 1, there shall be a fountain opened. A fountain opened. Judah, Jerusalem, looked for it. The people of that day looked at it. And you and I today look to it. I'm say it again. The day of Zechariah's day, Judah looked for it, the fountain that would be opened. The people of Christ's day looked at it in Jerusalem, the cross of Christ. They looked at it. But you and I, this side of the cross, we look to it. We look to the cross. We look to the blood. We look to the fountain of Christ. It tells us that John 19 and verse 34, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith there came out blood and water. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Her sins by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. It's a fountain. And it's flowing. Because if it was a pool, it would become stagnant. If it was still, it would become putrid. But it's flowing because it's fresh as ever. It's fresh tonight to cleanse us all from our sin. This fountain is opened to the house of David. The house of David shows the fountain's origin, the bloodline of Christ from Judah, from the house of David. In other words, David's descendant would come to the flesh and David's descendant would open the fountain who is Christ himself. You're looking at the genealogy of Matthew and his gospel and Luke and his gospel is, shows us the genealogy of Christ through David backwards. In Luke 1 verses 32 and 33, Gabriel comes to Mary and says, And he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. 
and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, when Christ came, he died on the cross, freely giving his life. He's reigning in the heavens at the moment, but literally, he's coming to rule over the house of Jacob from the throne in Jerusalem over the house of David. He's coming to take up a literal throne. A literal throne in a literal place to rule over a literal people. Are you saved and ready? Revelation 22, Revelation 22 and verse 16 says, Jesus himself, the risen Christ says, I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him Hear us say, come and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus is saying, come to the fountain. Come to the fountain. The fountain filled with blood, come. Come and be cleansed. Come and be forgiven. Come and be washed. Come and be covered. Come to the fountain. And so there's a certain people to the house of David and fourthly to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This must be the part that's the most solemn and somber, most terrible of it. Certain people are the inhabitants of Jerusalem of the day of Christ. And while we are invited to come to this fountain, while they were invited, they rejected Christ and turned away from his fountain. Listen to Matthew 27 and verse 25. The Jews cried in Jerusalem that day, His blood be on us and on our children. His blood be on us and on our children. Turn with me to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, please. I find this most sobering and somber. Matthew 23, verse 34. Wherefore, behold, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Jesus is speaking in a future tense. The apostles going forward and the early Christians. Verse 35. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. Think about this now. He's speaking to the inhabitants of Jerusalem who's rejected Christ and his blood. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall, not, shall come to pass upon this generation. <clears throat> Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her children chickens under her wings? And ye would not, verse 38, behold your house, the house of Judah, the temple in Jerusalem. Behold, your house is left unto you, desolate. A.D. 70, it was destroyed. They rejected Christ. 
it was destroyed. Brothers and sisters, he says that the blood from Abel to Zacharias would be upon them. That's Old Testament. Now, I haven't time to go through this in detail. But in Genesis 4 and 10, when Cain killed Abel, this is what the Lord said. What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth out unto me from the ground. Your brother's blood is crying. The blood of Abel was crying out. And God heard it. In Second Chronicles, write this down and read it when you go home. The man Zacharias that has spoken off the Lord Jesus from Abel to Zacharias. Zacharias is being murdered. And he asked the Lord one thing. Second Chronicles 24 and verse 22. The end of the verse he says, it says, And when he died, he said, Look upon it and remember it. Or look upon it and require it. So from Abel to Zacharias, all the prophets, all the righteous blood, Jesus said, if you reject me, all that righteous blood will come upon you. While the world looked the other day toward the, what, what's com- commonly known as the Holocaust, I think of the train cartloads and I think of them being scattered. I think of AD 70 and I think of the nations that they were around and they could not settle their food in and the trouble that was caused. I think of that. And Jesus says, this will come on you. Brothers and sisters, friend, here's something I have written. The blood of Jesus will either either cleanse you or condemn you. I want to say it again. I want you to get it. The blood of Jesus will either cleanse you or condemn you. Cleanse you when you call for him, for mercy, or condemn you if you reject him and rebel against his sacrifice. And it's an everlasting damnation to the soul of men and women. I finish with this. It is for sin and uncleanness, it says. The word sin is the same we mentioned earlier on. Katoha. It means impurities and it means a sin offering. Sin offerings to try and cleanse. Your sin offering might be good works. Your sin offering might be church Your sin offering might be religion. Your sin offering might be denomination. Your sin offering might be whatever. And he said, no, the the sin offering has already been given. It's the blood of Christ. Puritan William Jenkins said this. He said, unbelief is the shield of every sin. Unbelief is the shield for every sin. 
and men hide behind it. Well, I, I don't believe enough. It's a bit of unbelief here. And they hide behind it and they think it's a multitude of sins. That covers them. My unbelief, it's called pride and puffed up and boastful. And you use it for a shield of every sin. The uncleanness that the prophet has spoken about. It gives the idea of idolatry. He calls it uncleanness. Bowing down to statues and idols. He says it's idolatry, it's uncleanness. He says it's immorality, filthiness. And here's what it also means. It gives the idea of a menstruous woman. For women were set apart until they became pure and clean. And the idea is, he says, Jerusalem is as a menstruous woman in Lamentations 1 and the end of verse 17. And that's the time prophesied for the fountain would be open, they reject Christ. Jerusalem is as a menstruous woman. She's set away. She's set apart. And she's unclean. And my sin offering has finished all offerings. I am the Lamb of God to finish all Lamb offerings. People still try. We're going to look to get a temple and start doing offerings again. It's an abomination to the blood of Christ. Scripture says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, I'm not looking for anyone else or anything else. I'm not trying to bring anything else. I'm going by what that says. I'm trusting in the fountain opened of the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus Oh the blood of Jesus Oh the blood of Jesus It washes White as sing it again. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus it washes white as snow I'm thankful for the blood of bless him I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. Yes, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. It washes 
wide. Let's all stand. I'm covered by the blood of... Come on, declare it tonight. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Yes, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There's still power in the blood of Jesus. Yes, there's power in the blood of Jesus. It washes white as for the last time. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus.